So good morning. I'm Paul, host of the new PL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. We believe business needs a new PL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Just before we start, we would love to have you as part of the new PL movement and as part of the new PL community. So please take a moment to go to the website principlesandleadership.com and subscribe, either using the newsletter prompt when you land on the homepage or scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and fill in your details there. This week, we speak with Dr. Cliff Kopono, respected scientist, professional surfer, journalist, environmentalist, conservationist. Born on the eastern shores of Hawaii, Cliff's life is equal parts science and surf. He travels the world to explore, understand, and then highlight the conservation, food security, and environmental challenges we all collectively face. And he delivers this through his stories, his scientific research, and his award-winning films. So Dr. Cliff Kapono, aloha, a very warm welcome to the new PNL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Ah, aloha, Mike Akko. Thank you for having me. Kia ora. Thank you. Uh, you're a... You're a scientist, you're an ecologist, conservationist, journalist, and professional surfer, uh, and most of all, I guess, a very proud Hawaiian. So it'd be great to start the conversation with you giving listeners a, a bit of an idea of what your professional and personal life looks like each day. How do you manage those quite diverse responsibilities on a daily basis? Yeah, I'm, I'm real fortunate now to be in a, a position where uh, my life is equal part surf as it is science. and um, what I, I try to do is celebrate um, different waves by, by surfing them and also, you know, learning about their culture, uh, the people of those places, and, and also the ecology of the place. So that's something that as a surfer who has opportunity to visit these incredible places and, and practice the art and culture of wave sliding, I'm also um, put in a unique position and I'm able to learn more about these reefs and these ecologies. And hopefully I can use my a formal training in science to, to maybe help positively impact those places, not just extract it selfishly for myself. Your um, Hawaiian culture naturally plays a fundamental role on your perspective in life and what our relationship should be with the natural world and with our environment. And we discussed in the in the briefing call for this, the responsibility you feel on behalf of your tapuna, your ancestors, to help protect both your world and, and the wider world as well. What unique perspectives do you believe your Hawaiian culture brings to your conservation and your scientific work? How does it sort of flavor and temper the work you do and, and put perspective on that? Yeah, I, I feel like the Hawaiian culture for me, my heritage has allowed me to uh, have I I feel like a um, a starting place like mm -hmm. an identity which I believe is so uh, powerful uh, especially as I go and and now uh, look at different uh, maybe problems or challenges and opportunities across the world I, I believe by having a strong sense of who I am and where I come from I'm able to to use that to better move forward without second guessing where I'm coming from. And I think um, in our culture, how we often think about this idea of looking to the past in order to go to the future, 
by having that, um, I, I guess, a security in my past. Mm-hmm. I don't get caught up too much. And um, if I'm contributing in the wrong way or the bad way, I, I'm, I feel like I'm just moving forward. And science has become a tool that has allowed me to uh, articulate some of my cultural practices and, uh, and surfing. So I, I guess it's, it's almost like uh, uh, science and surfing to me is very cultural and it's helped me to feel a sense of purpose. And because they both are very in line with my ancestral teachings, it, it just makes things a lot uh, easier for me to feel good about, you know, I'm, I'm not kind of all over the place thinking oh, am I doing what I'm supposed to do is this really my calling or my purpose I it's embedded in in my people for thousands of years so I yes. I don't look back I just kind of keep going forward you know yeah did you feel that being rooted in that culture and having such a, a powerful affiliation with it gives you again a, a different perspective when you are dealing with local communities as you travel around the world and understanding their concerns because they're obviously coming from their own affinity and relationship with the land and the concern they have over and mm-hmm. environmental concerns in their own in their own areas do you, do you feel it gives you a different perspective in terms of perhaps what some others would feel in that position yeah i feel i personally feel by coming from hawaii we've had so much um, social, cultural, economic change over the last 200 years that there's a very complex social system that exists here. And by experiencing that, having lived very close to, you know, I would say, um, my grandparents and my great-grandparents were at that, that time when the kingdom was shifted over into control of the U.S. government. So there's still a very recent history of an upheaval of an identity of people on a, a sovereignty level. And by understanding the complexities of it now, third generation, um, I'm first generation on my father's side to be born in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. My dad was born in the territory. His father was born in the kingdom. So like there, there's different like social dynamics that have happened and it's incredibly complex and outside of just being an indigenous person the complexity of society just within this short time scale has provided me maybe with a perspective that is um it's double-edged there's trauma there's intergenerational trauma but there's also the acceptance of change because it's so familiar to my life you know um not having computers and things like that, it, it seems foreign to us. It's so included into our t- contemporary perspective. Like uh, having a global connection to me is seems very um, Hawaiian in a way. I, I don't know how else to like really put it, but um, with that, I think it helps me when I see the complexities of societies and civilizations in different spaces on the planet. It's, it, it gives me maybe a, a, a way not to just get caught up in the, uh, like the drama of the politics or the drama of the finances. Uh, you know, the, these are incredibly complex systems that aren't just not from a like ecological standpoint, but a social standpoint. Yes, and yeah in Hawaii, we, we've included all of that into just my short lifespan so far. I think it's given me an opportunity to really 
digest and step back and not just formulate these opinions on people like, oh, you guys should do this or you folks should do that. It's more about uh, maybe just taking a moment to listen yes. and ask, is there something that I can do to help you, the individual who's maybe sharing that space with me? That is the way I like to go throughout the world, whether it's in my surfing or my science yeah. or my storytelling, whatever I'm working at at that moment, I, I hope to be uh, someone that can bring solutions and, and positive change. When we, we spoke on the briefing call a couple of weeks back, you discussed the power of storytelling. You've just touched on it again then. And it's a huge part of the oral cultural tradition of Polynesian societies. And I know that from my own heritage in New Zealand as well. Um, how does this frame the way you deliver your messages on conservation and the environment? How does storytelling, I guess, sit at the heart of that message? And why do you think it resonates so much with such a diverse global audience as well? Yeah, the, the art of the story has, I mean, existed since the beginning of our species, I feel, you know, and, and in a weird way, I can't really prove this, or I don't know if there's studies, actually, it'd be interesting, I, I probably should look at this, but I, I believe that across different species, there's stories, and mm -hmm. somehow it's getting passed down through them, like whether it's the migration of the oceans from a turtle, or, you know, the whale, like the story of how to just eat or hunt, or you know avoid predators that's everywhere um and we just have a different way of of doing that you know and in, in this idea of how do we tell the story that is very relative to the audience i think that's important where science oftentimes forgets about that yeah and it's a it's an important thing to remember that not all people care about the the data or the numbers they want to know the overall story and how it impacts their life yeah. And that's something that I believe can be incorporated to all aspects of our work, whether it's the science or the surfing. Yeah. You know, if people just go out there and surf. The storytelling aspect of things like that's our oral history. That's our culture. That's the way we provide information. And, you know, I, I think there's a there's an appetite always, no matter where we're at in society for knowledge. Yes. And how do we consume that knowledge is interesting you know whether we consume it in um, papers or we consume it in uh, legislation there's always this information that's getting passed mm -hmm. and people maybe want to figure out where are our stories coming from and how does it directly affect me and that's something that's so sophisticated in indigenous storytelling is these complex environmental and social dynamics are condensed into these uh, beautiful um, timelines that we can mm -hmm. understand as humans. And because it's so sophisticated, it will last with us throughout our lifetime and it'll be passed down many lifetimes in the future, which yeah. is the incredible part about indigenous storytelling and even some contemporary modern storytelling. Like if you think about um, a, a movie, your favorite movie, you know, a lot of times we can go back to movies we've seen when we were children and we maybe not know word for word everything happened. We know the storyline. We know the key parts. And yep. that's decades in the past. Like the story, when connected to the human, provides an opportunity to pass data for the generations. Yeah. And that's something that I, I really am trying to explore in 
my work um, intentionally explore as a way for uh, storytelling to store data and pass that data to future generations. In one of the stories I, I listened to, I think on one of the videos we did in research for this, you described with real, um, with real beauty, the sort of the intimate relationship between surface and the natural environment. And uh, you were describing a, the journey of a wave traveling across the world and changing energy forms, kinetic mm. and so on. And then, mm. and then the process of a single wave meeting and embracing a single surfer. And I think you said in that moment, we are the wave sliders. And the point was made in context of, I guess, an artificial wall that your, some of your science lectures are put at the, up at the time that they were putting you as a scientist here and as a surfer over here. And they were mm. failing to see the, the interrelationship between the two, the connection between the two. And I wanted to explore this a little bit further with you because for lots of us in business, we put unnecessary barriers between our professions and our passions and often mm. to, to the mutual detriment of both. How mm. did you ensure in that environment that both science and surfing positively influenced each other in your life? You know, how did you make that connection between the mm. two? Yeah, maybe that's kind of going back to that first question a little bit, like what does it even mean to be a professional? Like, yeah. I, what, what does it mean to be a pro surfer? What does it mean to be a pro scientist? Like, yeah. it's these labels that we're defining. I, I constantly am asked, like, on the daily, could you please say your your professional title? And I'm like, human. That's my profession. Yeah. Like, that's the most accurate I think I could say. But I, how do I make a living? What is my financial support? Yes. Um, it's a lot more complicated than just going out there and catching waves. It's a lot more complicated than just getting a degree, you know, I think if we talk about, you know, we, we look at society members as, you know, please simplify what you do. How do you contribute to me? And I'm going to try to conceptualize that in the easiest, simplest yes. form, which yep. sometimes I think um, robs the, the real question of um, what are you doing for you? Like, mm -hmm. what do you do for yourself? And sometimes that's not just a job. Sometimes that's time with family. Sometimes that's doing the things that are about self-care. Sometimes it's helping others, you know, and I think that maybe could be a more um, important social question to begin to ask strangers or, you know, people, because I've really started to learn that um, people start to affiliate themselves with others when they want what they have in a weird way. You know, like, oh, like you, you're a, uh, you work on Wall Street. I want to work. I, I, that sounds cool. I heard seen it in the movies. I want to work. But like, I, I met a few people work on Wall Street and they're like stressed, like crazy. Like I, I really like the, the, I mean, I'm sure there's people who are stoked on Wall Street and working in that, that piece of society. But I think that's just those, those blanket statements. They oftentimes, like I said, they'll provide these this idea that is not accurate. Like right now I'm supported to find the best waves on the planet, whether they're in my hometown or whether they're on the other side of the world and gather imagery and stories that I can be used to celebrate in the surf industry platforms, yeah. whether that's the world surf league or whether that's Surfline or the magazines that still exist. Yeah if I can find those, that imagery and those stories and 
celebrate it, where there's an audience that want to celebrate as well, I get my contracts renewed. Mm -hmm. And in science, it's very similar where I need to find these stories about the way these ecosystems operate or potentially can be protected in order to provide that to an audience, which is oftentimes the scientific journals, which then can show to grant writers that I'm worth more money as these contracts get renewed. So for me, I feel like me, I'm living a lifestyle of someone who loves adventure, Mm -hmm. loves um, exploration, uh, who loves the environment and is trying to um, enhance my life, elevate my happiness by being outdoors and also be a better environmental steward of those places that I enjoy being in. That's the character which I'm trying to, the job I'm trying to have and how I make a living off of it. I look around for investors who are willing to celebrate that perspective. And the investors right now, a majority of them belong to the surf industry, um, Mm -hmm. whether they're clothing brands or surfboard brands or you know, water bottle brands, they, these are people who are into that. And also investors like the National Science Foundation, mm-hmm. where I can communicate to uh, these national endowments that I have the capacity to travel to these exotic destinations, perform this athletic feat in the ocean to include a diverse audience and then communicate to that audience the types of ecological function that these waves are providing the world so that's that's the story and now it makes sense to them they're like oh yeah that sounds great everyone is like oh a surfer who cares about the reef not just gonna want to party and everything like this this guy wants to get good waves but also engage community like that's that looks like a positive look for us let's back them on this yeah okay the national science foundation we want to break down that ivory tower we want to not have people feel like science is not uh, relatable to them oh the surfer can bring them in so you know am i the best scientist i i don't know i don't i don't think so am i the best surfer like i don't think so but collectively the the storyline here yeah. is bigger than the surfing or the science or the surfer and the scientists it, the story represents something that i believe people are craving for yes they yeah. want to see people who are out there that can operate on a very high level in whatever it is, whether it's baking cakes or riding a hundred foot waves, they want to see someone who's very, very good at something that they're doing, but they have a purpose because what I've recognized is my privilege. I didn't grow up with a lot of um, financial resources, but I grew up with an immense amount of cultural resources. And I have to celebrate that privilege and, and use that privilege. Like some people have other privileges, like, uh, like as men, we have privilege in that sense too. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, even though I come from a marginalized community, I can still recognize that I have privilege in that, that I grew up with clean water and clean air and a strong sense of family and culture, which mm-hmm. sadly right now across the world is so lacking lacking and you know there's people maybe that i thought grew up a lot wealthier than myself or you know had more financial resources i thought oh if i just had that i would be happy 
-hmm. And now that I'm moving into these other phases of my life, I'm recognizing that those people sometimes without that strong sense of identity and connection to place or people oftentimes are lost. And that loss, that feeling of alone is so costly and so expensive to the overall like social and physical and health of the individual. Like if we talk about the worth of things, yeah. that worth of self, there will always be some deficit that no matter how much you feel, it's like, it's just going into the wrong, wrong space. Yeah. And until that's filled, it's very difficult to hold any and like hold that value of oneself. So by giving, hopefully helping people recognize that we are all indigenous to somewhere, we all have a connection to a place. And if we don't, we can start now and we can start working on our self worth and identity then other things we don't need as much maybe money maybe we don't need as much surfboards you know when you have a, a strong sense of self mm -hmm. we need less which ultimately is better for the planet you know do, do you feel that what's happened over the last 12 months with the pandemic and it's you know created desperate tragedy for for many but it's also given many the opportunity to to have that time of introspection, to have that time of looking at perspective and what matters and what doesn't really in life. And, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things that you've alluded to that we spend so much time of our life looking outside for, for things to make us feel good when in fact the answers are, are predominantly inside us. Do you feel that maybe the pandemic has given some people an opportunity to reevaluate perspective in their life? Oh, totally. I think the, the, this biological event has caused it, it it shows the connectivity of all these seemingly separate sectors of our life yes you know education legislation uh, healthcare, travel um it, it just it's all connected in such a delicate way that i think when one of those sectors gets broken down um there's a, a big reevaluation of the the others mm. and as weird as this may sound i think that that this was a biological effect that the health sector was the the one thing that got dismantled maybe shows us two things one um maybe we should uh focus more on that sector you know for mm -hmm. for these types of things um maybe it shows that the way we operate in our society that when the health sector is tremendously impacted it doesn't really affect the rest of the other sectors whereas if government was to go down or if um say uh, uh military was to go down those things if those were to fall apart i think there would be some serious consequences on a global scale but when health is impacted we can still operate and though there was a lot of deaths and, and that was a, a travesty that maybe we're we don't have our health as a, a foundation of our global society so maybe we need to focus more on that yeah um, secondly i think that we can see how you know moving into a place where we can't move around 
we're forced to really think about where am I going? Yes. And we spend a lot of time, like the stillness, this caused the whole planet to be still just for a moment in time, which in so many cultures, Eastern, Western, Northern, Southern, there's value in the stillness mm -hmm. and that we're now still, and we're beginning, I guess, to move around a little bit more, but having that stillness, it's, it's so valuable, I think, to reevaluating, like you said, what's important. And yeah. Also, I think reevaluating our, our worth and our own value. Mm -hmm. Like um, society now, I think, can accept that if you don't make it to work, you can still do work, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's going to just shift a lot of the way we do our, yeah. our jobs. And I, I'm, I'm glad, I, I'm not glad for the deaths and the loss of life and the impact of people who are going through um, a lot of issues because of this pandemic. Um, what I am is that um, we're starting to pay closer attention to our health and we're starting yes. to pay closer attention to the way we uh, look at how we move around. Yeah, yeah. In one of the videos I, I watched when I was researching again, you cited Larry Bertelman, one of the legendary Hawaiian surfers from the 70s and 80s. and he had that fundamental belief that anything is possible. And I think you cited when he, he was out on a, on a five, five twin fin, I think was the, uh, with the example you provided and just sort of coming down and doing the dance with that wave and going in and out sharper than Jerry Lopez or anyone else was. And you could relate to him more. You said, because he wasn't a Hawaiian doing amazing things on the world stage, unlike some others in that community. How, how did Larry and his philosophy inspire both, your surfing and also your scientific career, you know, to, mm. to, to, to believe that anything is possible, to believe that you can become a scientist, believe you can become a world champion surfer. And I guess, how do you now in turn inspire the next generation of young Hawaiian scientists and conservationists and entrepreneurs to, to also believe that, to also believe anything is possible? Yeah, Larry Bertelman, he's, yeah. <laughs> Like you, you said, he was just an incredible um, talent in the ocean and such a gift for Hawaiian people to be able to see someone who um, had his share of challenges in, in that professional uh, surfing world. He was also able to hone in onto something positive. Anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you, when you reach a level of stardom, which I don't even, I don't know, but, you know, Larry Bertelman, he was celebrated and said to be perhaps the first professional surfer that was able to make a living outside of surf competition. Right. You know, it's just endorsements and just the, the look of being a surfer where up until that point, the only individuals that were celebrated didn't look like native people. Yes. They looked like someone from Southern California, which always limited my own ability to feel that I belonged in that world of professional surfing, mm -hmm. even though I believe my ancestors were the first to provide, I know definitely the ancestors were the first to uh, share the mm -hmm. art of wave sliding, stand up wave sliding with the, with the world. I, I just didn't see that before. And Larry provided this really present representation of a native Hawaiian being on the world stage mm -hmm. on his terms 
And he was celebrated to be that uh, a very lucrative professional surfing career outside of the parameters, which only existed before you only got paid when you win the contest. He didn't have to, he was rolling around in a Rolls Royce (laughs) that, and his surfboard that looks like a Pepsi can, like it just, it was like, it's insane to think that this person was able to transform and contribute to not just surfing, but translate that into um, skateboarding. And from those types of uh, maneuvers into snowboarding, and it's he he is very. Um, I don't know if there's enough credit given to Larry Bertelman and his contribution yes. to uh, board sports, and for me to see that, it just I got so excited. It was a little discouraging that this was like in the '70s and '80s. And I mean, I'm trying to do this in like the 2000s, but especially like, you know, maybe in like the, the, the 2000s is now, but I knew that it happened before. So it could happen now again in yeah. some capacity, maybe not the same way, maybe not the, as big as maybe he could do it, but it gave me a belief that anything is possible. Yeah. And I just was so like proud that you know, he wasn't saying, I'm the best. I'm going to crush everyone. No one can beat me. It was anything is possible. And like, yeah. you have a choice with that. Like I said, with that level of stardom, you can say whatever you want to say. And people are going to listen. And he chose to say something positive. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I, it just makes me, it like, makes me feel so good, you know, inside to know that someone took like that opportunity when he had the microphone to say yes. something yep. good. Yeah. And now with me i'm to see how he changed the game i would like to contribute to the same like song that he sang mm-hmm. you know i i'm hoping to show that i didn't go through competition i actually didn't go through um really growing up as like a, being primed to be a professional surfer like, I want to show that, yeah, anything is possible. Even if you go and get a PhD in chemistry, you still can be a professional surfer yeah. if you put the work in. Yeah. And that's, to me, what I, I want to uh, share with the, the youth and, and my, hopefully my contemporaries that, mm-hmm. um, just like Larry said, everything is possible. Look at this. This is no one would have ever, I think five years ago, people wouldn't have thought that you could make a living out of being a surfer scientist yeah but it's possible and it just requires a little bit of work and i think it requires um requires the individual to put a lot of the distractions to the side yes so in in both science and surfing i just want to contribute on a global level something that makes me feel like i have a voice and that Mm -hmm. my voice is valuable which in a weird way makes me feel like what has happened to my people um, was an injustice, but it, it doesn't mean that we are less than. It doesn't mean that we aren't worthy of contributing. To me, it, I, I hope to demonstrate that there are people out there on a global level, whether it's the New York Times or Surfer Magazine, like these people celebrate native Kanaka Maoli perspective. Mm-hmm. And I just got lucky to be able to sh- like pass it over to these these people and these institutions for them to see it. And once they've seen it, they're like, 
that's rad. Like, we want to be a part of that. And I can be like, that actually wasn't even me. That was my people's yeah, story. Yeah. And in a weird way, it just fills that void. Um, and maybe it may be not void. It maybe just feels that like wound that I have for mm-hmm. so long that um, growing up being told all the statistics of um, you're in a marginalized community, all your people, pure-blooded people will be gone by 2040. You are a part of a community that is the most incarcerated, most uneducated, most at risk for disease and infection, most blind, most dem, d- um, deaf, most dumb. Like, that's what I was raised with mm-hmm. by the outside. My Hawaiian culture celebrate navigators, scientists, engineers, all the good stuff. But once I stepped foot outside of my safe communities, I became a statistic. And anytime I was given any resource, whether a scholarship or an opportunity, it's because, oh yeah, because you come from those like people that are, are going to disappear. And that just never, that never sit, sat well with me. Like I, I started to believe it in a time I, I began, I became a lot of times the aggressor and the victim at the same time, because that's what the society on the outside was telling me. Mm-hmm. And once I was able to, by, by luck, maybe, and some really amazing people in my life to help steer me in a, in a certain direction, I was able to see like, no, those people that were just citing statistics were ill-informed mm-hmm. and that the highest level of influential organizations and institutions care about what the Hawaiian people have to say. And it was validated on those levels where I feel like I don't really know what else I can really like do to make me feel like, wow, like I can't believe like getting a call from these people like, oh yeah, we want to hear about what you do. And I'm just like, what? Like, okay. You know, I, I share and they're like, wow, that's in, that's epic. That's insane. And there was no like, oh, but yeah, but aren't you from like the marginalized Hawaiian community of like Pacific? Island? It was just was like, we care about you. Doesn't matter about race. Doesn't matter about gender, sexual orientation, religion. They just wanted to know the perspective. And though I didn't tell them, well, that's like native Hawaiian perspective. I just sat back, gave it to them. They consumed it so quickly. I just was like, it's good. It's all good. We just have to put ourselves, I believe, um, as, as a marginal community member, you know, in a, I believe that I needed to find a way to connect. Mm-hmm. And once I found a way to connect, the information was seen as valuable. And mm-hmm. I limited my own connection because prior to going up to the continent, I was very uh, anti uh, foreigner. I was very um, protective of my culture. I was very protective of my conversation. I, I didn't uh, interact very much with anyone outside of the Hawaiian community mm-hmm. out of fear uh, and out of that the traumatic uh, experiences. But once I was able to put that down, my hands were free to be able to connect with so many others. And from there, I believe it just it just moved into such a cool space where now I think about like, that's what Larry was on. 
Yeah. Like Larry was on that connection, you know, people probably looking at like, what is he doing driving the Rolls Royce and, you know, with the big aviator glasses and <laughs> flying private jets and stuff like yeah. people didn't get it. But I, I'm like, I mean, I don't do that stuff, but I mean, I, I feel like once he connected onto a global level, like all those insecurities and all that, like kind yeah. of things that don't necessarily matter got kind of shaken to the side. Yeah, and I, I hope to show that with with future generation, the youth, and and even like I said, contemporaries and peers. Like, uh, if there's anything that I can do, like I have my challenges every day. I have many challenges in my life, but by and large, I I truly am like happy, mm -hmm. and it's it's helped me to when when those challenges and obstacles come into my life, I, I face them. And I, I don't feel I need to like complain about them and like make um, a big issue about it. The same way as when something really good happens, I don't really need to like tell everyone about it. Like I don't need to tell everyone my income. I don't need to tell everyone like if I got an award or whatever, like I, I, it's just ah, cool. Keep going. Like, is there anything else I can, I can do to help? And when those rainy days come, be like, that sucks okay, we're, we can get through this. And if there's someone that's experiencing the same thing, that's where the value comes in on like a personal level, you know, not trying to blast out to society. Like yeah. I'm better than all you folks or like, look at me. It's more like, oh, you, you, you're feeling a certain way. I've, I felt that too. And actually that's a good thing for you. It was a good thing for me. And maybe you're going to come out better than you ever thought. I know I did. And those one-on-ones, man, those turn into even more positive relationships. So yes. yeah. yeah, Larry Bertelman, huge inspiration. And I, I'm not even a fraction of, you know, <laughs> Larry Bertelman, but he definitely has uh, kept me, you know, wanting to, yes. to contribute on a massive level. I was fascinated by uh, one of the research projects, you scientific research projects, you were engaged in recently the surfer biome project mm. um especially around whether the principle of the framework of what you were trying to deliver could be applied to other industries and areas or entrepreneurs for example so i wondered if you could outline for the audience for the listeners what what the project was about what you were trying to achieve and what the outcomes were in that regard yeah so i mean really what i was trying to achieve was uh surf trip <laughs> but uh it it was more i think um yeah that was in 2016 i think and i was halfway through my graduate school in california and i just was like a closet surfer i didn't tell any of my professors that i i surf and i i there's still part, this is prior to any types of sponsorships or anything. I had some, some support when I was younger. Um, but what, when I chose to dedicate my time to academia, I, I didn't care about the surf industry anymore. And I, I wasn't trying to uh, engage and contribute to the surf industry. Um, but I wanted to maintain a certain level of proficiency because I believed I've, I've invested so much of my time into uh, uh, achieving that proficiency that I didn't want it just to be like, I was so close to being pro and then, you know, something I, I didn't want that story. So I was like, 
I'm not even going to talk about that, but I'm going to maintain. So if I ever have to surf, my surfing can speak for itself. You know, it's yeah. like the underground or whatever. I just wanted to maintain that because there's no amount of money or sponsors or covers on the magazines that can hide you from the reality when someone sees you surf. They're going to see it and they're going to be like, I believe it or I don't. And up until that point, I had a confidence in my ability to know that without any credentials, I could achieve the respect of even the best surfers in the world. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to give that up because it felt really good to be able <laughs> to be included as like a, a, someone who surfs these waves and, and, and is a part of that, you know, even though I couldn't contribute on a professional level, um, having that level of respect, again, that's that like a feeling of not being valuable. Maybe they, I looked up to them. I've seen them in the magazines. They say that I'm, I'm good to go. Like they respected me in, you know, that filled that, that, mm -hmm. you know, insecurity that, that I had. Um, so I, I know sponsors, nothing. And I always would tell sponsors or companies, or I was trying to get investors maybe at the time, you, we can do surfing and we can do science. Like this is an untapped market. Like right now, the market is 14 year old kids from Southern California. You want their parents to buy them the t-shirts and all that. Like let's hit another demographic. Let's go after the young professionals who are, have some you know, money to spend, but they want to put it into a place where they believe it, you yeah. know, and, and this was, we're talking like maybe now, and we see maybe that's the market now, maybe the last, you know, few years has been away, <laughs> but like, we're talking like 2008, 2009, like people are like, what? Like, no, we, we don't, we don't believe that we're not into this, like elevated eco, whatever. They just spend the money where they feel it's like the cool guys or cool, whatever. So I was trying to push this uh, perspective on professional surfing and science. I wanted the scientists to say, see, if we could explore another market in our science up to the broader audiences, we will bring down this level of scientific illiteracy. We can mm -hmm. increase literacy in science by also promoting, you know, engagement in nature and the grants and the, the professors, they just were like, sounds good but we're so like indoctrinated into publish these papers become a professor get these big grants and get some random award named after some super famous person that no one's ever heard of like let's just do that so i i kind of fought for that opportunity and i kind of was like feeling i was against the ropes and I lost all my funding, um, not lost, but I used all my funding I had to, to study coral reefs. That's what I was studying when I first went. Um, I had no sponsorships in surfing or anything. I was like, figure out how am I going to afford to pay for my surfboards? Because it was usually my scholarship helped me pay for my trips and my boards. And I'm kind of just like, out of desperation, just kind of gave up it all and took a moment to just step aside and think about if I could create a project that was what I wanted, what would it be? Right. And I was very excited by the science I was learning at the time. Uh, it's the technology that can identify biological and chemical signatures on anything mm -hmm. from a cell phone to a dog, 
Like it didn't matter. Like I was learning this tool to like sample someone with a Q-tip and just take like a sample, put it into a computer essentially. And it tells me all the chemicals and all the bacteria that existed on that thing. So I'm sitting back like, wow, that's really awesome. It's like new age forensics, CSI type of shit. Then I was like, how can I include this in surfing? Cause I want to surf. And that's where, um, Really how, how it happened was I got pulled into my professor's office and I thought he was going to kick me out of the lab because he found out that I was surfing so much. And he told me, um, can you bring a level of attention to our lab and science using your surfing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, it kind of was just the right moment when I felt kind of like broken down and I, I didn't really know what to do. My professor's like, okay, here's an opportunity. And I was like, okay, this is where like, all those like books and stuff, like when you get the opportunity, are you ready? And I was just was like, okay, I cannot mess this up. So I, I really put together this proposal that I submitted to this department and the department ended up wanting to fund me for two years to look at how surfers are connected through the ocean. Mm-hmm. And that was like the big question. Can I find chemical and biological fingerprints of the ocean on humans and I surfers were the the cohort that I went to study and I ended up including my own uh selfish destinations I wanted to surf uh, North Africa Ireland and like back home all the waves I wanted to surf I put it on the list and I, I ended up surfing them and making really good friends and um and even that during that time, like I, I still didn't have sponsors and this, the fellowship really only paid for like my tuition and a little bit for my like food. Like it wasn't like that was the project that everyone jumped on and invested in. And I just kind of like made it seem like it was being backed by these, like I got an article in like surfing magazine and I, I was got this big fellowship to do it, which like, I mean, it wasn't that much like really when I think about it now, but I just like, I'm sponsored like to do this by science. And then I ended up just doing it and, and finding out that indeed the ocean does have a, a fingerprint that it leaves on us that is identifiable through uh, genome sequencing and mass spectrometry to very contemporary analytical techniques and techniques in science. Wow. So, I mean, that shows that, um, you know, like nature, we leave our fingerprints around nature and our our environments, but the environment has such a uh, unknowingly impactful uh, part of our life. Yes. And surfing provided us that opportunity to discover that, which puts a tremendous value, not just on the financial contributions of surfing, but also the scientific contributions Mm. of surfing, which, you know, spending all this time learning how to tell a story it i was able to condense this into a story where when i went to other investors um they thought that it was worth their investment and it it turned into going um, and speaking to different sponsorships and our sponsors and saying you know to create other stories like this it's going to require this much financial resources and they would come back and say, okay, it, it sounds like a, a plan. And really to a lot of my surprise being, um, I thought I was going to be this kind of unique uh, person in the industry where I just uh, 
did these kind of storytelling things. But my, my, my athleticism was celebrated as well, which made me feel really good too. Like, I mean, it's another ego like push, you know, like, wow, I can be on like the athlete team too. And I went and, you know, do like athlete trips and I, I'm on these like team things where like, I used to feel like, oh, maybe I'm just in it because I, I got the science component and that like niche thing, which I, probably is true, which I'm not like knocking. But also to be able to be to be a part of like the athlete side of things like it's I'm stoked that science without science I wouldn't be able to even show anyone that I could stand up on a board you know I would still you know still be underground or, or whatever which you know, I'm not saying I'm like a star or whatever it's just like I'm, I'm a contributor now yeah. you know and it makes me proud it makes me proud to say like I contribute to society as a surfer and society believes in me enough to like support my family, which I'm stoked. <laughs> just, I wanted to sort of just ask one question on the surf industry specifically before we, uh, before we wind down. There's a, there's a bit of an uncomfortable, I guess, contradiction at the heart of the surfing world in some respects. You've got a, a community that, as we've discussed a few times, is passionate about the sea and their environment and environmental protection and so on and then we're paddling out in wetsuits and using surfboards which mm. in most cases have materials that are far less than environmentally friendly how does the industry tidy itself up in that regard and what sort of leadership is needed to to really jolt it into to moving forward in that regard to a great degree i know there mm. are movements within side the uh, the industry but what sort of leadership do we need to make a wholesale change in that regard yeah yeah we're we're talking about the idea of consumerism yeah and consumption and you know by and large i believe many would argue consumerism is the problem which to me it's an oversimplification again going back to the complexities of our society um consumption is very human you know it, it's mm -hmm. very uh, organismal, everything consumes. But the difference between the other species on the planet is what they excrete is consumed by someone else. Yes. That's where we fail to connect is we can consume, but what we put out is not beneficial to the world, which then becomes waste. Mm -hmm. And this is where I believe there's opportunity for growth. If we need to consume, if that's the foundation of so many people's livelihoods, now including my own, how do we support and perpetuate ideas of consumption that don't provide the waste? So yeah. it becomes waste management, waste mitigation, um, which to me is where I try to align myself with partnerships who are very open and willing to um, modify their waste streams, who are willing to uh, figure out ways to uh, reduce that amount of non-valuable excess, which is produced. And uh, there's opportunities in, in, with so many eco-friendly greenwashing companies that they just want to align with someone who has a certain amount of following and, you know, whatever they'll pay, they have the market budget, all of that. Um, 
sometimes it, it seems like a really good amount of money to to do some of these things but at the end of the day like the industry that i belong to there's there's social um responsibility that i need to account for in any type of partnership and there are brands out there that feel the same though they're not perfect i believe that they're looking for ways to um make sure their employees are have a, a certain quality of life um they're not taken advantage of in the way these materials are manufactured um there's things with exploring new technology and different materials, whether it's wetsuit or surfboards to reduce the negative impact on our environment. Uh, and there's also um, like campaigns and opportunities to provide resources to individuals who are trying to uh, make positive change in their communities, uh, such as grants and things like that, which I, I really um, am a fan of is um, the idea that some of these large corporations don't just donate to a nonprofit or 1% for the planet. Those are all great ways, but there's also brands out there who are taking uh, large chunks of financial resources and putting them into the hands of people who are on the community level, the grassroots level of mm -hmm. trying to better the environment in their community. And, and those are the types of things that I believe uh, brands are exploring and it's becoming uh, more common there's a lot of big um, retailers now online retailers especially that are demanding some type of environmental component or social responsibility to be incorporated into their um, I'm not a I'm not a business person but you know like the strategic plan or whatever that that thing is is you know they need to have it incorporated into it which just shows, I think, everyone how the times are changing, where if, you know, now I've learned all these types of things about money and economies um, and governance outside of ecology, because they're so connected now, you know, if, if we're gonna make a living out of this, we have to be just as much scientists as you are business person as you are, uh, citizen like political party member as you are like surfer or whatever you know like you got I, you have to be all of them in today's society because if you fumble one of them you could jeopardize the entire way of life very wise words upon which to end dr cliff capono thank you very much for your time on the new pnl today ah, mahalo nui thank you thank you Namihi. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Cliff Capono and the work he does, please go to www.cliffkapono.com, www.cliffkapono.com. And all of the links will also be in the notes that accompany this podcast. And as mentioned in the intro, we would love to have you as part of our community. So please go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe. And do also take a moment to rank us or review us we genuinely appreciate it and it all helps with our ratings and our rankings. This has been an incredible conversation today with Cliff. So please don't forget to also pop back on Friday for the new PL to the point, where we will break down today's conversation with Cliff and offer a summary of the key points you can take away and use in your business and in your life. So I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you once again for listening and have a great day.